Good afternoon. This is Trina Green-Brown here with Parents and for Liberation. I'm here with Michaela Streeter, principal and lead teacher at The Life School. The Life School is an independent progressive high school located in downtown Atlanta. At The Life School, students are co-owners of their education, empowered to investigate their curiosities and take action in the world. Prior to founding The Life School, Michaela also co-founded an educational technology company focused on college access. She has a background in STEM, she has a bachelor's in computer science, and an MA in education, learning, design, and technology from Stanford University. Thank you, Michaela, for joining us today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I mean, there's so much to talk to you about, you know, and your incredible background. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Um, I gave a really brief bio of, of what you do um, in your school, but just if you want to give us a little bit more flavor of who you are, where you're from, um, and tell us a little bit about your story. That would be great. Sure. So I grew up in Maryland, right outside of D.C., and uh, my parents went to Howard University. That's where they met. And so um, so they raised us to to love ourselves and to love our African heritage and to, to embrace the complexity of our story, like as black people in the United States, but also to dream the biggest, wildest, and craziest dreams we could. And that, you know, they were there to um, support us in finding resources and opportunities and figuring out how to get there. So one example that uh, I think is just crazy, but great. Um, so like my mom, my parents would always like get, take us on tours around Howard and show us the campus. And my dad studied engineering. And so we'd go um, inside the building and we'd see all the like planes and circuits and computers and all these things that were there and really, um, you know, invested or, you know, put into us this idea that, you know, there's more to education than what we've already seen. There's so many more things to learn and go and do, and that we should continue to seek out those things. So um, my mom met someone who had gone to college at MIT and studied engineering, and so she connected me with someone there, and I was able to uh, to go and spend a weekend. And basically it was just like nerd heaven, and I just so enjoyed being there and being in this place where I wasn't like the smart kid you know, or anything anymore. I was just another person who was excited about learning, excited about doing cool things with technology. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to get into the school and to be able to go and study computer science there. And then after four years, it was a cold in Boston, really needed to defrost. And so I moved to California and just enjoyed the palm trees and the sun and, and started working as a software developer, but like missed that connection with people and community. I worked for like a really huge enterprise company. And so I wanted to more like I was doing something for people um, day to day and knowing that the work that I was doing benefited someone's life. And so I started volunteering at a school and then ended up joining that school faculty as a, the director of the engineering computer science program. And so it was a school uh, maybe 10 minutes from Stanford University, but served primarily low-income students of color who, were, who would be the first in their family to go to college. And I was just really excited about getting to spend that time with students. I taught computer science and then also worked in the boarding program. And so I spent a lot of time with teenagers and really got to know, you know, what are all the things that they're thinking about um, and struggling with and, and aspiring to and seeing the diversity of their experiences from student to student and then to see them grow, to go from, like, you know, freshmen just excited about high school to college um, 
so, I mean, some of the, my students that I taught then have now graduated from college and are, are now working with us on the school. And so just seeing them through this adolescent and early adult development has been, I mean, so incredible. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Kudos to your parents. They totally sound like parents who were parents in for liberation, who really saw what your area of interest was and really invested in your interest and did not keep you boxed in or into stereotypical areas that girls are supposed to be in or that black folks are supposed to be in and really kept you at the center and expanded and offered and create spaces for you to actually cultivate your own interests. So just a shout out to your parents who are parenting for liberation. Mom and dad. <laughs> yes, mom and dad. Um, I think just hearing you also just talk about your relationship to your students, um, I could just hear kind of the joy and the happiness and the fulfillment that it gave you. Um, um, it re- it resonates for me. I mean, I could hear the, like, smile and the, like, you know, the proudness of our young people who have now transitioned into adulthood and just being able to see their trajectory. It just resonates for me. I did a lot of work in, with young people in schools in Los Angeles, and so mm-hmm. just wanted to kind of reflect that back to you, that, like, I could totally hear that, like, nurturing adult educator invested person shining bright right now and I'm assuming that's what led you to inspire your school but I want to know more about your school what inspired you to found your school in Atlanta and tell us more about the school the approach the curriculum and just tell us about the life school yep so so when I was teaching like I mentioned I also worked in the boarding program and so so that meant that after students had been in school all day and I'd been maybe teaching for part of it, I would have dinner with them and we would do homework together. And like that whole family evening routine we did together every day until they went to bed 10, 11 o'clock in the evenings. And so, um, you know, as teachers, you get to know students one way in the classroom, but when you have students in the evening, when they're tired and grumpy and stressed and sad and, and there isn't like a, a, a set, set of curriculum to push them through. It's just like their evening. You really get to know them in a very different, um, in, a, in a way that's special in, in its own way. Um, and so that experience showed me a lot about, you know, what were, what was the experience for a student who's going to be the first in his family to go to college, um, who's dealing with all sorts of things from his family and his community and just internally as an adolescent growing up you know, what are some of the things that are on their mind and, um, and wanting to, to, to think about like, what could high school look like? We want students to have the option to go to college, but to, does that mean that they need to be in school for eight hours and then have two or three hours of homework plus like extracurriculars? Like, is that necessary? Um, could we like, make more connections for them between the subjects or do they need to be siloed? You know, do they need to be separate spaces? What else could high school look like? Uh, And so that really got me thinking about other options and other models. And so I went to grad school at Stanford to better understand how other people were thinking about education, people who thought about it nonstop all the time and had looked at it from lots of different angles. And so that was really a great space you know, for reflection and for bouncing ideas off of other people who, you know, worked in education all around the world, um, and then to have space to to try out different ideas. And so, you know, I always knew from when I was a kid, I, I wanted to start a, a school. I remember Oprah opened a school in South Africa, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is amazing. Like, 
I mean, even the, just some of the details that she thought about, like, um, like the kids having pajamas. I remember watching a documentary on that and being like, oh, my gosh, I never would have thought, like, that some people don't have pajamas and that might be something to provide. Uh, and just how do you how do you identify a group of people and an opportunity and a model that compels you that you want to put put that effort into? And so, um, being in the dorms and thinking about like how do we make high school a little bit healthier um, for students, and how do we how do we help them not just prepare for college, but prepare to be their own people as adults to be able to manage their own lives and and have a sense of of, of how their lives might matter in the world. And so, and so that's so much of what's at the heart of the life school. We really want students to, to graduate with a clear sense uh, of what their impact on the world might be. You know, what are the things that motivate them and intrigue them and excite them and have an, imp- an, an, an informed vision for their lives. You know, and as adults, we know that over time, you know, you might start with one thing when you're 18 and then when you're 25. It shifts, and, you know, over time as you get more information, have more experiences, these things ebb and flow and change in different ways, and that's okay. But um, to have something clearer when they graduate from high school is the goal. And so we focus on everything we do on on how are they building skills, um, academic skills, personal and professional, but also how are they um, having a space to explore their own interests and to get to know themselves better but also how are they learning more about the world, broadening their, their picture of what else is happening around them and their communities and our country and in the world, you know, all different countries and cultures and everything that's out there. How are they broadening that picture? And so they have a, a, a clear sense of, of everything and they can better find where they fit or they can make the most impact in all of it. So day to day, that looks like, um, two main times in our day. We don't have math class or history class or anything like that. We just have two interdisciplinary projects that students work on throughout each term, and we integrate the academic content into those and the personal professional skill building as well. And so there's the morning time where we pick a topic that we explore together. Um, We learn all about it, uh, talking to experts, talking to stakeholders, researching, watching documentaries and videos and things, and then students say, well, now that I know this, now what do I do with it? How do I take action on this? Is there someone I can help? Is there someone that I can raise awareness about this? Uh, is there something I can build or make that, like, leverages what I've learned during, these, during this term on this topic? And then the, the afternoon time is focused on them. They map out an individual project. And so students are, like, writing novels and writing, building video games and starting companies. And, and really pushing those skills. And so it's not just like one day I like to start a company. It's like we'll start a company now and see how hard it is, see the things you need to do, and like figure it out as you go. And you have like you have me, you have your classmates, you have tons of resources out in the world, other people who can help you do this. Um, and to be able to, to build that expertise and build that understanding, um, try things and fail in a safe space. I think the key word that you just said at the end of that sentence is right is – is that to try things out in a safe space. And it sounds like your school is, is a safe space for the young people to thrive, to try, to practice, to experiment, to explore. Um, and it sounds so different than how we would describe the school day of a regular traditional public school. Um, it's more fluid, it's more open, it's more expansive in terms of uh, letting the young persons 
passion and energy and appetite actually um, determine and chart the pathway of their day versus it being rigid block schedules of isolated, siloed curriculum subject areas. Um, and recently, and ongoing, right, there's been lots of data and statistics around school push-out, the school-to-prison pipeline um, for African-American students um, who are being pushed out of school um, by some of the rigidity of our public school system and traditional school systems, um, that disciplinary actions are being used in a punitive way to make sure that kids are in line with that rigid schedule. Um, which does not is which is not expansive like you describe your school. Um, there's also been data recently in a report about how more African American children are being homeschooled because of those toxic mm-hmm. educational environments. Um, so even in the way that you just described your school, it feels like it's a model of what an alternative environment could look like that supports Black children and supports Black liberation. Um, when I think about you naming that it's a place for kids to explore and to try. Um, that that's what liberation feels like. It's just the freedom and the possibility to be and the freedom and the possibility to think of things that are often considered impossible. It's about removing the barrier of like, that's not possible. We'll do that later, not right now. And it's like, actually, no, try it right now. All the resources are there for you. Let's think from a place of abundance. And so when I think about parenting for liberation, it's really about shifting our orientation as parents and folks who work with children from a place of scarcity and fear to a place of abundance and hope and possibility. And so I hear that that's what your school is doing. Um, Do you have more reflections on how you see your school as a model of a shift or an alternative way of being in schools for young black children? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that I love about our, our community is that our students feel safe to be their, like, blurty selves. Like, have you heard this term, black nerd? Um, and so, no, but I like it. I was like, what? Yeah. Blurdy. <laughs> right? Yeah, so I think there's, there's like a, a Twitter, um, I don't know, community or something around these blurs. But yeah, so they, like we had students today who were um, so excited because they loaded a new operating system on their computer and now they could like build video games and other students who were, who were um, discussing new logo designs for their business and um, finishing up their website. Someone gave someone a shout out for like making progress on his website. And so it's like, the, and it's not that there's like, that these students are, are, are so special or so unique that in any environment they would have, um, you know, become these people. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're wonderful people, but I, I think that anyone in a negative environment or an environment that's not super nurturing can, has the possibility of, you know, of not pushing themselves or not feeling comfortable being being smart or pursuing academic things. But, you know, our space is one where that's something that we get really excited about, that we pride ourselves on, that students are able to um, pursue those interests, even if they're things that are hard or tough or things they've never done before, you know, that that's so much a part of what we do and that students, feel safe to do that and then they model that for younger students and for newer students to say it's okay to like to work on your novel and publish it and put it out there like we'll support you and we'll read it and we'll give you feedback and we'll help you do the illustrations and the cover art and we'll help you do the marketing you know that they really want to use their skills to support one another and to encourage one another to to pursue their dreams I really like that community 
collective support, not only from the staff and the teachers, but also from their peers, which is really, really mm-hmm. a pivotal group, a very influential group, especially in the teenage years. Um, when I hear you talk about blurred, right, when I hear blurred. you talk about black yeah. nerds, black <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I've been called a nerd once or twice in my days um, growing up. And I think about how I went to public school all my academic years and how I was often positioned as the exceptional black girl, right, that Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't like all the other black kids, right? I was special. I was a magnet. I excelled. You know, I was this kind of scholar and that kind of scholar and achieved all these medals or awards. And so I was, like, exceptional. you know, I'm the first to do that in my family, the first to do accomplish that. And, you know, it felt good to be an exception, right? Mm-hmm. Until I realized that it wasn't good to be an exception. Actually, that it, it's just not fair to all of my other sisters and brothers, all the black and brown folks in my community who don't have access and are labeled as bad or not smart or, you know, just problematic students. You know, they're just mislabeled and misunderstood, right? They're not in the right mm-hmm. environment. It's not supportive. So when I think about, you know, there's a, lately there's been a lot of um, conversation about the negative impact of charter schools as being very, very exclusive to only bringing in folks that I would identify, right, as black nerds, right? And so then what happens to the mm-hmm. kids who aren't considered black nerds or blurs or aren't considered, you know, I'm putting in parentheses, the, the good student or the, the smart student or the exceptional student? Like what happens to those children? And so I'm just wondering mm-hmm. about your school and because I heard you say earlier in your own story that it was great to finally just be a person who liked to learn when you went to stay the night over at the friend from MIT, that you weren't just, you didn't have to have this like exceptional kind of frame around mm-hmm. who you were in that space, that you just felt like a regular student or a regular person. And so I'm just wondering about um, the acceptance of quote unquote regular students um, into yeah, your space I, in your school. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like in my experience that every student on, is like a nerd about something. That it might be like hidden deep down under, you know, the guise of cool or years of brokenness, you know, and discouragement. But somewhere deep down, there's like something that like sparks your interest. There's something that excites you. Um, and I mean, I've unfortunately met, you know, middle school students and even elementary school students. Who, who are already, like, super discouraged about school. But, um, I mean, I think that, you know, so much of creating a safe space for learning is beginning to break away those layers and the students and help them process their experiences and to begin to get back to that, like, happy, blurdy state that they were in earlier. Um, and I was working with a group in New Orleans of students who, some had never used a computer before, and this is high school, and some, like, could barely, like, read or write or anything, but, like, getting them to talk about, like, well, what are issues in your community that you want to work on, that you could um, really take action on, and that was something where they were like, okay, finally, I can do something about the things in the community that have hurt me or hurt my family, and even though I can't read or write or, like, barely, I, like, barely know how to use the internet, I had this opportunity finally to do something about it, and that was something that began to wake them up. And then that's, like, becomes this avenue where you can say, well, how do I build now tech skills? How do I build, you know, my communication skills? How do I build my analysis skills? And you get this, 
this opportunity to, to work with them. Once you find what is that way to connect with them. Before we started recording, we are talking briefly about, you know, my background is in media and the arts, and um, your background is in STEM. And, late, and more recently, um, the STEM has been expanded to include an A, which is to include the arts. And so we talked about how STEM has transitioned to STEAM and the role of the art in encouraging innovation and creativity for young people. And so I don't know if you want to speak a little bit to the role of arts that you've seen lately in relationship to our current political conditions. Mm. Uh, it's just been really great to see how technology, just as its own space and industry, has moved since, you know, when I was a kid, you were, like, typing at the command line and that sort of thing. And now there's so much value on things being both functional and beautiful. And I feel like that allows more people to be able to be a part of technology in a way that they couldn't be before. People who only were – who are mostly excited about design or art or media can now say, oh, I I see this overlap, that, you know, we're going to have a film company – but we're going to need the apps and we're going to need the website. And you get to to teach students the this cool intersection between the two. And it's and really it's been really interesting in particular, like you're saying, with the political movements and things that are happening right now, to see how much technology has been a part of that to really build up social movements to from like Occupy Wall Street and Arab Spring now with like Black Lives Matter and and so many different conversations that people are having around the world trying to get these messages out there. But it hasn't just been about, like, the hashtags or the tweets. You know, it's been about the songs and the films and the, the shirts and the images that people have been able to capture and, and present in a way that helps us develop empathy towards the people who are, are really affected by some of these issues day to day and bring us in in a way that, like, hearing a soundbite on the news just really didn't cut it before. And so, I mean, there's just so many examples. And so we were talking about, you know, how Alicia Keys made this video about, short film about immigration. And in 11 minutes, she develops empathy for what it means to be a refugee, why someone might be forced to leave their home, why they might really need this support and help going into a new country that like just hearing about someone from some faraway place maybe coming to your town just doesn't just wouldn't have otherwise done it. And so I'm I'm excited, you know, for people to to see the power of art um, to build consciousness and awareness, and but also that connection with technology and bringing all these different groups who'd sort of been off in their own silos together now to have these conversations together and develop some you know common work and common projects together. And so. Part of um, the model of the school comes from a handful of students that I worked with when I was teaching before, and they were students who didn't like school at all, um, to the point where I was like, maybe you shouldn't go to college, not because you can't do it, but because you're just going to hate it, because it just, it'll feel just more like school, and you've hated school for years, you know, um, until you figure out, like, what you're passionate about. Like, there's so many other ways to learn and grow and support yourself, um, and, and But they were students who in school, in a classroom, didn't want to sit still, didn't want to pay attention, but get them in uh, on a hike. Uh, I mean, this is, we were in California, so everyone hiked, right? So get them on a hike, and they knew every tree. They knew every pathway. You know, they instantly became a leader and made sure everyone was safe, you know? Get them, you know, with a group of 
uh, professionals, to get them in an environment where they're having to sell someone something. They instantly became so charismatic and, and um, uh, you know, thoughtful and, and all of that in their conversations. And they just became in, instantly different people in a different environment. And so wanting to create a school that even for them, these, 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 stayed behind, you know, several years, got kicked out of school and all of that, where they would feel safe to learn and grow. And so, you know, how do we, whether you know what you're, you're passionate about or you're still trying to figure it out, but you want to, you know, I, I feel like this school is a space for, for all of those folks. You just have to have some bit of, like, I'll try, like some bit of motivation to say, uh, I might like to find out what motivates me. I might like to figure out what I'm passionate about. And we got you. We'll work with you. So that's amazing and incredible. And and that just transitions me to my next question. And just to say, like, for folks who are listening, like, Parenting for Liberation is the name of this podcast. And we're like, what are we talking about? Where are the parents' questions or conversations? And I think when I think about parents, um, it's not just biological parent, right? It's not just biologically who gave birth to children, especially this is really about black children. Um, we know that, you know, an African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that there are so many other folks who have influence on the lives of our children who we actually have to bring to the table to have conversations about how do we parent from a place of liberation. Um, I think that school teachers, school personnel play a huge role, right? Our young people are at school more hours of the day than they are at home. Um, they're spending time with these other adults while we're not there. I mean, unless your child's homeschooled. So I'll just speak for myself. My child is at school from 8 a.m. until like 5 or 6 when I get off work. And so he is with a whole complete group of adults who I don't know if they're parenting or parenting him from a place of liberation. And I'll raise that a lot of schools, especially public schools, really don't believe in the concept of like teaching as a parenting methodology. Um, but when I think about parenting, it's really about nurturing, caregiving, providing support, protective factors, and really just kind of uplifting that person, building their confidence, right? And so when I think about people at school or the school staff and personnel, like, to me, I really want them to be looking at my child and being like, how can I help this child be liberated and free in his oldest, brightest self? And so how do you see the role of teachers and educators in parenting or nurturing um, young people through education? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I try to focus on is remembering that students are on a personal journey as well as their own academic journey and that, you know, every student's in their own place and, and that they're people. And so, you know, he might be grumpy because he didn't get enough sleep last night or because he's tired or he got in a fight with his mom in the car and remembering that they're people and that they're like, they have these whole lives, you know, and that they bring all of that into the classroom. And so how do we, you know, support that and and um, acknowledge that day-to-day in school. And so it's not just about getting through a bunch of content. It's like, you know, we're learning this because I want you to understand more about what's happening in the world. I want you to better understand yourself. You know, like today we were learning about uh, the Stanford prison experiment. And so, you know, it's all about how given unchecked power – that sometimes people take it too far and become, you know, tyrants and abusers, even if they were otherwise nice and caring people. And so it's like, well, how do you know if that's in you? How do you know if, if that would be you? Now that you've seen that this is possible, 
what are what are your opportunities for leadership and you you know how do you keep this in mind that you don't want to ever become that person who's yelling and screaming at other people and so always taking it back to you know i want you to be your best self i want you to grow um and to continue to reflect uh on who you are and what matters to you and so so i think that's something that in every conversation it's not it's never just about the material it's always about like how are people internalizing this? How is this connecting with other experiences that they've had? How is this intersecting with, you know, completely separate other experiences that they've had in their day? Um, and just being cognizant of all these different pieces of nuance and complexity that influence, you know, what a child takes away about, you know, who they are and who cares about them and, and um, how they're growing as, as learners and as people. Yeah, that's really good. And thinking about the wholeness of the child, right? Um, mm-hmm. The wholeness of the student. Not in this robotic, numerical, just a number in the classroom in a seat, but actually like the whole child is there and they are wrestling, especially in the teenage years, right, wrestling with so much and so much is going mm-hmm. on. Like how do you actually bring that into the classroom and not say, mm-hmm. check all that at the door, come to the class, we're going to learn, right? That actually that is a part of learning, maturing, and youth development is like, how do you bring all that into the classroom? So I really appreciate you, your frame around that. And um, actually, we think a lot about like the children and what they bring to the table, right? And what's going on for them and how they show up. And oftentimes, we don't think about how, you know, the adults and staff in the school actually, how they show up and what they bring right. with them, like yeah. their whole lives actually have an impact on students as well. And I shared this video, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but it was, um, Mm -hmm. I think it was actually recorded in Atlanta. And it was about like how kids interactions with adults throughout the day actually impacts their motivation or their confidence um, because they don't necessarily get positive reinforcement or reactions from the adults. And so there's this video of a young, of a young black student going through the day and not necessarily receiving the best or most positive um, response, right? He gets on the school bus and the yeah. bus driver's like, go to the back of the bus, hurry up, go sit down, mm-hmm. put your seatbelt on, versus like, yeah. good morning, welcome, you know, just like the joy mm-hmm. that young people need to thrive. And so um, I'm sure you probably saw it, but just wondering, like, when you think about your school environment and you think about, you know, parenting for liberation on campus, right, actualized through the staff and teachers, um, what does it look like and feel like and sound like in an educational environment that is actually trying to cultivate liberation? Yeah. So, I mean, I think working with teenagers, especially when I was in the dorm, that I saw that so much more than I would have seen if I'd only been in the classroom. In the classroom, it's, I think it's, um, and there's definitely opportunities to greet students and things like that, but there's so much to get done. Then the dorms is just like, it's like you're at home and um, and you really need to build these personal relationships with students if you're going to, like, convince them to do chores, you know, after a long day of school or if you're going to, like, um, talk them through some essay that they're super frustrated about and they want to go to sleep or something. Um, and so really learned a lot there about, uh, about building personal relationships with students and being able to get a sense of what they need to, to feel supported and feel loved. And so, and so at our school, so much of it just starts from when they walk in the door and greeting them and being like, how was your day? How are you feeling so far? Um, it's good to see you, you know, um, being really happy to see them in a very natural way. And then seeing the other students greeting them as well. Sometimes, you know, the students will go and meet them at the door and be like, hey, buddy, how are you doing? I've been waiting to tell you about this and that. Like, come and let me show you this cool thing that I've been doing, you know. And then throughout the day, just I think what the – 
without the rush of class to class to class, it's a lot easier to take our time and work through things and say, hey, if you need to go grab a yogurt, go grab a yogurt. If you need to go to the bathroom, go grab it, you know, or go to the bathroom or whatever you need to do and be able to um, to support students in, in whatever they need in the moment, whether it's, like, emotional support or, like, physical support, like food, uh, and then and then making time to, to just be outside. You know, we have an hour in the middle of the day that's just for, like, lunch and recess and, like, hanging out. And uh, I mean, I remember when I went to high school, I was just so upset that we weren't going to have recess anymore when I was a kid. And so um, but now that was like the first thing I was like, we have to have recess. <laughs> and so we just, you know, we'll, we'll kick a soccer ball around or like there's a park nearby, we'll go swing on the swings, you know, or, or we'll just hang out and laugh and chat and play games and stuff. And it's such a nice time to like connect and see students in their element when they're just like cracking jokes or so, like, let slip different random things. Uh, you get to know them a little bit better and can better connect with them later. And so, you know, those are the kinds of things that matter. And, and with a small community, you know, it's easier to get to know their parents and to know where they're coming from. Um, and so to know, like, okay, this kid has a single mom, and so she's struggling with this and that. And so to make sure that, um, that, that just to know that that's, like, a part of his life and a part of his day-to-day experience or you know, to know that this family has this set of values or that family has that set of values and how that influences, you know, how they participate during the day and the kinds of conversations they'd be excited to have or, or we struggle to participate in, you know, and to think about, like, where are the, the ways that we can partner with their family for these students to, like, continue to grow as whole people. That's really helpful. I mean, when I think about you talking about the space in the middle of the day, right? And uh, there's this poem that I've read with my program, Moves in Violence, a few times called Fire. And it speaks to when you put logs in a fireplace too closely together, it actually doesn't allow the fire to grow. And it actually dies it down. And actually the way to really build a fire is to actually put space between the logs because the space between the logs is actually what helps to ignite and inflame the fire. And so when I think about, like, literally taking some space in the middle of the day to, like, build a relationship and just to sit with young people, like, there is no spaciousness in my kid's day. Um, when you said the example of, like, oh, do you need space or time to just grab a yogurt because you're hungry? Like, do you need mm-hmm. to go to the restroom? Do you, like, my son got a penalty the other day because he was drinking water at the water fountain at the wrong time. And I'm just like, I'm oh, sure no. he's thirsty, right? Like, yeah. There was no huge penalty, but, like, there's this whole color system, and, you know, you get a certain color if you behave well throughout the day, and, you know, every time you make a quote-unquote mistake, you know, it's a like your color shifts. And so he was, like, yeah. super excited to tell me that he had the highest color, but it got dropped down because he was drinking water at the wrong time. I was like, what? How did your color go down for drinking water, right? And so mm-hmm. just in thinking about, again, like, just reflecting on just, just the complete difference in terms of um, centering the needs of children and, like, what we really could do to radically shift that within our current public school system. I mean, you're not in L.A. I mean, it would be great if we could have Maybe a school. Maybe yeah. <laughs> One day. I mean, you know. <laughs> By the way, he's only in second grade. <laughs> he has a long yeah, way. Yeah, we have some time. We have some time for our massive expansion plan. Yeah. There's some time for visioning a Los Angeles location. Uh, yeah, here you go. I like projects. But I don't know if you have any tips for, like, what parents can do who don't necessarily have access to schools 
like your lovely school, the life school in Atlanta, um, if there's tips, I mean, I feel like I've heard some, some broad strokes of like what you actually do on the inside to reach out to parents and reach out to their kids and like making those connections. But if there's any tips from the other end, like what can parents do who don't necessarily have access to these kind of schools? Are there certain questions they should be asking schools? What should they be looking for when they go do school visits? If there's any tips before we go for our parents who can't make it to Atlanta. Right. Yeah, everyone should just come to Atlanta. But um, in lieu of that, I, I mean, I think the what's really helpful is to develop, you know, your own vision of education, you know, what really works for your child. And for each individual, I mean, each one will be different. And so what works for them, and then to have, once you have that clear vision, I think it's a lot easier than to talk to schools and say, is this really a fit? This is really aligned with what I think makes sense in education. I mean, there's so much in the in the media and what and whatnot right now about like what's working and what's not working in schools and what it might take. So there's a lot of material out there that you know that's helpful. Um, one book that you know I've asked parents to read is this book College Without High School by Blake Bowles, and so it just talks about like. You know, going to college so much is about being able to demonstrate leadership and academic proficiency and passion, but that you don't necessarily need to be in a traditional high school program to develop, you know, that portfolio to share with parents. There are lots of ways to demonstrate leadership and academic proficiency that you can, for example, you can take AP exams without taking AP courses, you know, and so there's just so many things that, like, we just take at face value because it's what our experiences were as students. But um, to to push back and question every little piece and to say, you know, what if the high school didn't have 5,000 kids? What would it be like to have 50 or 100? What would we lose or what would we gain? You know, or if students didn't change classes every day, you know, we don't have to take that for granted. It doesn't have to be that way. What else could our day look like? And so to think what a new vision for, for that would be and what would make sense for your child. And then to begin to find resources and opportunities like that, whether it's during the school year or after school, you know, there's so many great you know, robotics teams, scouting programs, and different things that build that, build that like, hands-on um, experience-based learning that isn't always in schools, and then also the summer, you know. So, so for me, that, like, having that clear vision of what an education could look like for your child, and then, too, especially as they get older, to think about, like, how are they developing genuine responsibility like, uh, I mean, my parents would always say, like, oh, you're, you know, be responsible for your chores. That's your thing to be responsible for. But um, that's not something that, like, as a kid, you care about. Like, you don't necessarily care about the trash being out. Like, you're not super affected by that. Like, what's the thing that that kid wants to be responsible for or would care about, you know? And, and how do you give them ownership over that to say, you know, you want a lunch that you want to eat? Okay. You have a $50 budget every week. Take out what you want to get at the store. Budget it out map it out, find the coupons or whatever, and then go to the store, you know, and make your lunch every day and to, and to develop that sense of responsibility and empowerment and just, like, the little things. And so as they get older, um, that gets more and more and, and more genuine forms of responsibility that the students are, are motivated to develop. That was really helpful. I'm going to try the first one. Um, okay. I'm going to try the first tip, which is to envision um, – what educational success sort of looks like, like what kind of educational environment my son needs, my daughter needs, 
I think my daughter's doing fine. She loves her school because she's in a theater arts program. And so it's just like it's given her life. And she just started. But my son has struggled. He's He's been the kid who's told me since first grade that he hates school. He doesn't want to be smart. He'd mm-hmm. rather not be smart because school is just so lame and boring. And, you know, I know that that has nothing to do with his ability to be smart or to think critically. I know it's really about the environment. He's not enjoying mm-hmm. it. There's so many things going on. And so I've wrestled with all the different, like, switch schools, switch teachers, mm-hmm. volunteer at once a week in this school to make sure that, like, to, to see what they're trying to do and to push them to, like, consider his learning style and, you know, shift their approach to him. So we had a great year last year, and so we're now in our second grade year. We're having some other ruffles, but, you know, we're going to get through it. But I think I will explore what 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 education looks like for him. Um because I've been, I think I've been actually trying to get him to fit within the current school structure. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think it's going to be, it's okay for me, for him not to fit. Right. Because I fit, you know, I was the exceptional student. I, I made it through public school. He could do it too. In reality, he doesn't have to do it um, if it mm-hmm. doesn't work for him. Right. I don't have to push him down that box. Um, and then I'm, you know, also the fear of like me trying to push him in that box and him eventually getting pushed out because it just doesn't work for him. Right. And like, mm-hmm. what is that going to mean long term um, about his like interest in, in learning and his interest in academics? Like it's going to just dwindle down to there's nothing. So all of that to say is I'm going to try it and see what his vision is. And I invite other parents to do that. And um, we might spend some time doing that together when when I gather parents together locally, maybe we'll spend some time envisioning what education looks like for our kids. So if you have more tips on how to facilitate that that discussion or that vision session, because I imagine it would, you know, involve some coloring, some art. I'm imagining post-its all over the wall. and Yeah. It could be really exciting. Yeah. But I, I would say, though, I, I we get a lot, actually. It's been really fascinating that parents often will say, and, I, and I'm sure your daughter's fine, but, like, that they say I'm worried about my son but my daughter's fine like I've Mm -hmm. that's been such a consistent thing that people say and maybe everyone's daughter is really fine (laughs) in their school but you know what is like if she's fine like what could what would be the next level of thriving and what would be the next level of engaging maybe it's I don't know if girls just like go along to get along or, or what it is but you know to to push um, people to reflect for their daughters as well. Now, I appreciate the push because I, I have to challenge myself in that way as well. I think systemically, institutionally, structurally, like we often say the girl is fine, especially in terms of black communities. We focus on black boys more mm-hmm. so than we focus on black girls, right? Girls are invisibilized, they're silent. We don't think about the violence that happens to girls. We think about the violence that happens to boys. You know, we can name Mike mm-hmm. Brown. We can name Tamir Wright. We can name all the boys who've been uh, impacted by state violence, for example, but we can't name the girls like Rakia Bard or mm-hmm. Ayanna Stanley Jones, right? Right. We can't name mm-hmm. them because we are so focused as a community. I think we focus a lot on, like, you know, black male endangerment, right? Um, yeah, and so I think I pre- Right, and I appreciate the push because I think girls are also experiencing violence. Black girls are being pushed out in alarming rates. Black girls are more likely to experience sexual abuse, and there's, like, this whole sexual abuse to juvenile detention pipeline that's happening for girls, which is different than the school-to-prison pipeline, right? So I think you're right, and I really appreciate the push that we can continue to ask, like, what more can we be doing to make sure that she's beyond fine and that she's thriving and excelling and full of life and full of joy and that she's fully liberated as well, so... I really mm-hmm. do appreciate the push because we can't just assume our girls are okay just because they aren't 
speaking up about how they're not okay. Yeah, yeah. Any last information that we need to know if folks want to get in contact with you or your school to learn more, where should they go? Yep, so our school is The Life School in Atlanta, Georgia, and our website is thelifeschool.co. So everything is there, all about our curriculum and our team and a forum to contact us um, to get more information or just reach out and share what you thought about what you heard in this episode. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michaela. You have a great day, and I wish you all the best at school tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye.